morning. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. This is the show that is all about entertainment. It's the show where we do our darndest to shine a big old spotlight on all that is good in entertainment. And of course, we've got here myself, Jeff Simpson. We've also got behind the board and my co-host, Cole Wissinger. And the didn't co- know it was going to be fill in the blank this morning. Yes. <laughs> And fill in the blank, who is sitting to my right? Oh, my name is Mickey Randall. Mickey Randall is so fantastic. She puts together some of our fabulous segments that we have on the show. Um, I can say fabulous because I don't make them. She makes them. (laughs) That's praise for your work, Mickey. Aw, thank you so much. We have a huge show today. Uh, It's interesting because our show is brand new. It's a new episode, and yet we're doing a show about remakes. The whole show is going to be about remakes. Now, of one sort, one flavor or another. Right. In fact, both of my pieces of news have to do with remakes in a roundabout way. Okay. So what we do every week on the show is we give you the best in entertainment news. We don't give you the gossip. We don't give you the, the big juicy stuff that – well, it's juicy. It's just not gossipy, I guess. Yeah. But it's not – we do the good news as opposed to the negative news. It's news news you are excited for, news you can be happy about. At least Jeff's pretty excited for some of today's news. News to write (laughs) home about, as they used to say. So the first piece of news, for somebody like me who, you know, would love to see a good action movie, but then I see the rating it's like, oh, it's rated R. Not that I'm a prude or anything, but I try to, you know, I try to practice what I preach, Right. So the first piece of news, a lot of people I think were aware that there was some mysterious Deadpool movie coming out around Christmas time, which, again, Deadpool is very rated R. So, you know, you hear Deadpool Christmas movie, it's like, well, I guess I'm not seeing that one. Would have been nice, but I guess it's not going to happen. You just write it off automatically until... Until they announced that Deadpool, the movie that is coming out at Christmas, is called... Once Upon a Deadpool, and it is actually going to be basically a PG-13 rated Deadpool 2 with a few extra scenes filmed specifically for this special release. This is of the repurposing variety of remakes where they take something already, they spice it up a little bit, change it down, and you've got a whole new thing. They can make whole new amounts of money. Now, Mickey, Cole, I'm willing to bet that you are big fans of The Princess Bride. Eh, I would say I'm a fan. I don't know if big fan. Jeff, is... you're the big fan of yeah, The Princess Bride you're in this the room. Big fan. We're the medium fans. Uh, you guys, the door is right there. I just want you to know this is one of my favorite movies. I and the, the, the reason I mention this is because in Once Upon a Deadpool, the, the extra scenes in question will feature an adult – Fred Savage shooting scenes or doing a scene with uh, Deadpool where I suppose he's acting as Peter Falk. So there's that grandpa-son relationship like there was in The Princess Bride. But I think the joke is that Deadpool has kidnapped Fred Savage and has forced him to film these scenes for the movie. Which could be entertaining. I'm going to check it out. I think it's only playing for a couple of weeks. So there you have it. PG-13, Deadpool 2. My other little bit of news that basically is a remake, not really a remake, but kind of a, uh, what would you call it? A spinoff, I guess. There aren't too many details about it yet, but we do know that Vince Gilligan 
Very soon, we'll be starting a Breaking Bad movie. Vince Gilligan, of course, the creator of Breaking Bad and the co-creator of Better Call Saul. There's now going Two to be – Two of your favorite television shows, absolutely, to be clear. Absolutely. And there's going to be a Breaking Bad movie. We don't know if it will involve Walter White or Saul Goodman, but it's going to apparently exist in that same universe. I can sign on for that. So – Better Call Saul's in its last season, is that correct? Or second to last season there that they'll is, be going into? It's It was renewed for season five. No okay. word on whether or not that'll be the last season. So maybe by the time this movie comes out, the movie acts as the bridge Could between be. Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad. Because be. it was already a prequel, and then you kind of got the middle chunk, and then you get to the... You know what they could do? If cool. they're not, not going to do post-Breaking Bad on Better Call Saul, they could do it in this movie. That's true, too. All kinds of options available. I've got one more piece of news that's of the uh, re-release variety. Mm. The Disney Netflix streaming service that we've been referring to uh, heretofore as Disney Netflix. Good word, heretofore. Now has an actual name that we can call it. It is Disney Plus. Yes. I thought we knew that. Um, I mean, there was news as of three hours ago that Mm. it has a name. If you knew beforehand, you just have some insider information. I've got all the insider info. <laughs> okay, so is there any particular show or movie that is going to make you excited for the Disney Plus streaming service? All of them. Will you sign up for it? No. Mickey, will you sign up for it? You know, I don't think so, but I did hear that they're creating a Star Wars TV show. That is true, for, live action. Yeah. <gasps> With- so that might... That might change my mind, but I don't know. I was a little bit confused about that news because it says that it's going to star Diego Luna, whose character, spoiler alert, died at the end of Rogue One, mm-hmm. <gasps> which in itself was not necessarily a remake, but it was a prequel. So we'll there's see. that. I'm definitely not going to be signing up for that service. We'll I'll, see. No, I'll just buy the Disney movies when they come out. I'll do what every person should do, just keep one copy and then sell the other two. Uh-huh. Yeah. When the, the digital, the Blu-ray, oh, yeah. The, yeah, those, yeah, yeah. those copies is what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, and I just – I've discovered that I think most people are interested in the digital copy and not the DVD or Blu-ray. Takes room on your shelf. It's true. We've got another piece of remake news. Absolutely. Are you telling me I'm a mean one, Mr. Cole? Nah, I would never do that, Jeffrey. Not to but my But you're face the one anyway. with the news. So, wow. Cole, I love it when you drop a beat on the show. <laughs> I wish I could take credit for this. Do you know who is singing this or rapping this? Uh, Tyler, the creator, I think is a part of it. Tyler, the creator? Is that... Never heard of him. Does that make He's sense? A rapper. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, like a, a present rapper? Yeah, and he's a, he's a comedian, too. He does. He's pretty funny. Okay. So this, of course, is the new version of the song You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch, from Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, or in this Presented case... Presented by Illumination. Just <laughs> The Grinch. Now, this is very fitting to be doing a review of this film on our remake show because this is yet another remake. Last week, we talked about the remake of The Nutcracker, and this iteration of The Grinch stars Benedict Cumberbatch as the said Grinch. And thankfully, it's a little more faithful 
to the source material than the last iteration that we got, which starred Jim Carrey. One thing I did not like about the Jim Carrey version, although I love Jim Carrey, and I think it came out right about the perfect time when I was really a huge fan of his. Uh, One thing I did not like about that version of the film is that the Who's were a bunch of jerks. They were mean to each other. They gossiped. They were trying to one-up each other, which if you're a fan of the book or the original movie, that's not what the Who's are all about. They're these pleasant little people. Right. Now, this version of The Grinch thankfully restores the Who's to their more saintly personalities. People are kind to each other. You know, if somebody's mean to them, and usually it's just the Grinch being mean to them in this film, they'll, they'll point out and say, now that's not very nice, but they're not talking behind his back. They're not saying mean things about him. So I love that they restored uh, the Who's personalities and demeanors in this film. The other thing I really admired about this film and I wanted I didn't get a chance. I wanted to look at the credits and see who was doing the acapella singing. If I had to guess, I would think it's Pentatonics, who is kind of the big acapella, yeah, the acapella group. Go to. They keep showing up in mm-hmm. movies. I think they're in pitch, one of the Pitch Perfect movies. Uh, there are a couple of songs in this film that mention the word Christ. <gasps> I didn't know you were allowed to do that in a Christmas movie. It is funny. When I was watching this movie, I was thinking. You know, isn't it funny how we can no longer celebrate this holiday in the way it was originally meant to be celebrated? Because you don't want to offend anybody, but you can still celebrate it in a very different worldly way. Interesting. That's just a side note. Other than those two things that I've just mentioned. No, there's one more thing that I really admired about this film. Just like the Nutcracker in the Four Realms, when the movie was over – I couldn't believe how quickly the time had gone by. So it seemed shorter than it was, which I can appreciate. Now, other than that, (laughs) I don't know that there's much that I really care for about this movie. My biggest beef with the film has got to be the portrayal of The Grinch by Benedict Cumberbatch. I know you were nervous about this going in, Jeffrey. Right. We've had conversations about it. How did it turn out? It it was it I mean, I went in with low expectations for his performance and yeah, he did not ex- well, should did he exceed them or did he no. No. It was worse than I thought. I okay. <laughs> he talks in a very nasally high-pitched voice. You know, I was sitting it's not there exactly thinking, smog. I you're right. I was sitting there thinking, okay, I don't know what a modern-day Grinch would sound like in the movies because I'm so used to Boris Karloff who just nailed it, right? But to be fair to myself, I don't think Benedict Cumberbatch knows what the Grinch should sound like either. But to be fair to Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, the script is not very well written. So he doesn't really have good enough material to work with in the first place. It follows the same story. He's more of an inventor in this film. You know, he sends out Max on these recon missions. And another another complaint I would have about the film is that the character of the Grinch does not have much of an arc. They do try to explain why he is a Grinch. He was an orphan and nobody really included him around Christmas. And so I have seen cute, tiny little Grinch in the trailer. Is cute, tiny Grinch as cute as it is in the trailer? Sure. He's given very little screen time. But uh, they they do make a point of explaining why he's a Grinch. But he's he's more 
he's I wouldn't say he's as much of a Grinch as Boris Karloff, who's just evil, you know. But Benedict Cumberbatch's Grinch is more just annoyed at the world, but he still loves Max and he's really nice to Max. So he doesn't seem as much of a Grinch. So Sounds like a 2018 Grinch where you just are annoyed with yeah. the world, but you like your dog. Right. You know, that's, <laughs> but it doesn't, that's it my generation. <laughs> it doesn't seem as much of an arc, though, when he finally becomes good at the end, right? It really – one thing I will say, I guess, is it really made me sympathize with people that are alone around Christmas time. And it made me understand, oh, yeah, this is actually a really good portrayal of what it would be like for somebody who is alone at Christmas. For somebody who's alone at Christmas, yeah, Christmas probably would not be that enjoyable. It probably would be annoying. It probably would be so depressing to walk around seeing all these other people being kind to each other and inviting each other in their homes and then – You're totally and utterly alone yourself on Christmas. Of course. So it's funny. When the movie ended, I kind of felt like those two old critics from The Muppets that sit up in the balcony. And the – Statler and Waldorf. The the quote – and I'm going to butcher it. But the quote that came to mind when I was trying to sum up this movie was, that movie was pointless. It wasn't funny. It was short. I loved, loved it. it. <laughs> yeah. From a Muppet Christmas Carol, right. another movie you can watch this Christmas time. So there's the review of The Grinch. Really, you can't do better than the original. Nobody will ever write a script better than Dr. Seuss himself. I'm it was sorry. by Illumination Entertainment. Were there minions, Jeffrey? Uh, Did you keep your eyes peeled for like the background or? Not in the movie itself. There's oh. the little production logo at the beginning that always has a minion, but. You're never going to be Dr. Seuss. Why do they keep trying? Why? All right. Money. Well, <laughs> why why are there any remakes, Jeffrey? Yeah. The next two films we're going to talk about are not remakes, but uh one's a sequel and one has probably been done before in some way or another. But we are going to give you a little snapshot of what is coming out next week. One of those films is a film called Instant Family starring Mark Wahlberg and Rose Byrne, who all of a sudden have three children that they've adopted when they only wanted one. And the other film is Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. It's a W, but I'm pretty sure it's Grindelwald. I think that's right. Sure. Right. (laughs) This is the sequel to Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. And I got to say, I feel like a Grinch. but Which is a I, prequel to eight other Harry Potter movies, right? I right? <laughs> feel like a Grinch, but I'm not excited for either one of these films. But the problem is we need to talk about both of them next week. And there are two movies coming out, and there are two of us, Jeffrey. What are we going to do, Cole? Well, we could rely on the old staple of rock, paper, scissors to figure out who goes to which. Okay, just once or best two out of three? I think it's best two out of three. And remember, it's rock, paper, scissors, shoot. That's important. You go on shoot, not on scissors. Okay. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. We're going to have Mickey call out who won each round and with what. All right. All right. It's going to be great radio. Get ready for it. Count us down here, Mickey. One, two, three, shoot. Rock, Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Rock, Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. (gasps) Okay, we had a tie, both scissors. Now we've got Jeff as paper and Cole as rock. Jeff is the winner. Okay. Here we go. Round two. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. No! Oh, okay. Okay. That was two ties. Now we've got Cole as the winner with paper, Jeff with rock. Here we go. Rock, Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. 
Rock, rock paper, scissors, scissors shoot. No! Uh, how, how? How did he come from behind like that? the winner with scissors. Okay, so now what's going to happen, Mickey? Because I'm not satisfied. I think we need to keep it going. Okay. So well, I- as the winner, I would like to call... Whether it's heads or tails. Okay. Oh, we're going to flip a we coin have a now. coin toss okay. now. <laughs> Great radio. Can we okay. get it landing on the desk to make yeah, sure that we, we get can. the clinky I'm noise? I'm stand up for this. Song. Okay. I'm not, I'm not okay. good at flipping coins. Okay. You're going to call it? Yes. When it's in the air or now? Tails never fails. Tails. Okay. Clink. Rattle, rattle. It. What is it? It, it, it is... Tails. Oh. I'm so good at this. You okay. are. Lucky. So it's I'm your lucky day. I'm still not satisfied. We can't let Cole win everything All here. All right. So now what do we do to figure out who's going to see what movie, Cole? Well, I do have an old spinning wheel. Really? Okay. And I can roll that to see who goes where. So as the winner of both <laughs> Rock, Paper, Scissors and the coin flip... I get to say that if it comes up on me, the wheel has two sides, you and me. If it comes up on me, I get to go to Fantastic Beasts. Okay, and but is you there, have to go to Instant. Where's family. the pointer? I'm not seeing the pointer. You'll see it. Okay. We'll flip it. Okay. Here we go. And it is on me. Wait, so, how? I don't I see a pointer. Go. How do we know that it landed so on you? So rusty. I it's get to go wheel. to Fantastic Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. How do we know that it... As the defending champion. Wh- how do we know that it, it landed on you? I didn't see a pointer. Neither did any of our radio audience, Jeffrey, but uh, the wheel was your idea. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. I should add that it's very fitting that it's a rusty spinning wheel yeah. because these movies are probably going to need some oil or some grease in order to be good. I'm somewhat excited for the Harry Potter one. So I'm going to go to that one. My wife is not going to be pleased with you, Cole. She wanted to see that film. You can point her to the evidence. We did it fair and square. Ah, that last one was questionable. But next week, Cole will be reviewing Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. And I'm looking at one right now. But fantastic. You're very fantastic, Cole. Thanks. And uh, I will be seeing Instant Family. With Mark Wahlberg. That's right. I get to see Marky Mark Sands Funky Bunch in Instant Family next week. Now, as we go to break here, we wanted to give you a a review of an older film, but one that, yet again, was a remake. And here it is. Have you ever received a chain letter or email? You know, it contains a message that tries to convince you to pass along the letter or email to someone else often threatening bad luck or even death for non-compliance. You've got mail. Goodbye. If you have, please tell me you haven't fallen for it. Well, my next pick, the 2002 horror hit The Ring, has a similar theme to it. The film follows a Seattle journalist, played by Naomi Watts, who investigates the mysterious death of her niece, Her search for the truth leads her to discover the creepy videotape viewed by her niece prior to her horrific demise. And after watching it herself, Watts' character is in a race against time to solve the mystery of the tape before she suffers a similar fate. Have you heard about this videotape that kills you when you watch it? You start to play it, and it's like somebody's nightmare. And as soon as it's over, your phone rings. Someone knows you've watched it. And what they say is, you will die in seven days. 
Now, I've never responded to a chain letter or viewed a chain movie, but I have seen plenty of movies that were so bad that the experience almost killed me. From Touchstone Pictures. Shaquille O'Neal. Rated PG. Luckily, this is not one of those films. I remember going to see this movie on a chilly October night, not knowing anything about the plot, and afterwards, I remember thinking it was the scariest movie that had been made in years. And the rest of the world seemed to think so too. The Ring went on to earn around $250 million. But what's really remarkable is that this is the epitome of the word-of-mouth movie. It's one of those rare films where the box office numbers increase instead of decrease from week to week. Maybe people thought the movie was some sort of chain letter and they had to convince five other people to see it in order to avoid some unspeakable tragedy. Hmm, I may be onto something there. Seven days. <laughs> now luckily, we know watching a videotape could never kill us. Mostly because we don't watch videotapes anymore. However, just to be on the safe side, the next time someone sends you a chain letter, it's probably best you just send it back. seems in Hollywood when you have a winning formula or in some cases a winning movie you want to do whatever you can to repeat that success right so what do you do you dust off an old favorite and you make it new again well sometimes most of the time it doesn't really work but sometimes it does and we're going to highlight the times that it does here on screen cleaning today and we still have Rod Gustafson here from Parent Previews we're going to each give you three picks of superior remakes that you're going to want to check out and I'll go ahead and start with my first pick this is a film that has had several remakes and all of these uh, films have been based on a book a book by Jack Finney called Body Snatchers, and then the title was changed to Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It was an old black-and-white 50s B-horror movie that a lot of people really still revere to this day, starring a favorite character actor of mine, Kevin McCarthy. But the favorite iteration of Invasion of the Body Snatchers features a fantastic and very strange cast that they've assembled. Just listen to this cast. Donald Sutherland... Jeff Goldblum, and Leonard Nimoy in the 1978 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I am a huge fan of this theme where it seems like the entire world is against you or this other theme that it's really about, this McCarthyism theme of anybody that you know could be a communist or in this case, anybody that you know could be an alien. Mm -hmm. And the numbers start to dwindle and dwindle as the film goes along. The cast alone is reason enough to see this movie, but really, it's creepier than any other version of this film. If, if for nothing else, the last few seconds of this film will burn a very scary image into your mind that you will not soon forget. My first pick for Superior Remakes is the 1978 Invasion of the Body Snatchers. 
And uh, Rod, we'll we'll have you go next. Have you seen Invasion of the Body Snatchers? I by the way, I have, and I totally agree. And Jeff Goldblum, if, if, I don't know <sighs> what it is about that guy. I'll watch any movie of him. <laughs> in it. So my my first pick is the 1991 Father of the Bride, of course, starring Steve Martin. Okay, yes. so I have a soft, mushy heart. I must admit, I I like rom coms and and that type of thing. But this movie, having just last year married off my first daughter, you know. This this movie really has always been a family favorite in our home, and I really like it better than the 1950 Spencer Tracy mm-hmm. one for probably the biggest reason is Martin Short playing Frank, <laughs> the wedding planner. And for me, you know, Steve Martin is funny. Who would have thought, though, that Martin Short could steal the screen from Steve Martin? Right. Both of them just play off of each other just in yeah. such a marvelous way. Cole, how about you? What's your pick? Your so first pick. My first one is my favorite one. And this comes from a long, long franchise with reboots and remakes galore. But the Star Trek movie of 2009... I think remade what they were trying to do the best because in my idea, the reason you do a remake is because you have a new story to tell. You had an old potential concept that was good or was not, but then you wanted to do something different with it. And so for for everything that Star Trek 2009 had going for it, what it did was created a new universe to play in. They didn't tie themselves down from this very, very lore heavy, and the fans of it are very heavy in that lore. Yeah, They created their new universe so that they could go play in it. The very next movie that came out, they did just such... The reason... I'll back myself up for a second. <laughs> He's excited. The, the reason I'm excited about Star Trek 2009 is because of how disappointed I was in Star Trek Into Darkness. For, oh. Because they established this new universe, to have your second movie go and remake Wrath of Khan, when your characters that you've just established <laughs> don't know who Khan is, don't have everything going into it that it did the first time that they did it, that is why Star Trek 2009 stands out as a great reboot of the franchise because of how disappointing the remake that they mm. made after it was. Mm. I'm so happy that you mentioned that movie because I remember just being completely giddy watching it for the yeah, first time. me too. And I saw it without my wife the first time, and I insisted that we go see it again, and she was just as blown away with yeah. it as I was. The casting. The casting oh, yeah. was Incredible. I can't think of a remake where they've hit the casting better than that one. And speaking of casting, Zoe Zoe Saldana, who, by the way, just got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, Mm. she has got several franchises to her name now. She's got Star Trek. She's got Guardians of the Galaxy slash Avengers. And she has the Avatar movies that are coming out. She is doing quite well for herself. It is true. Yes. So it's my, not, it, it is easy being green every now and then. Sorry, <laughs> quoting Kermit. Green or blue, yes. depending on which one you're watching. Uh, my number two pick for superior remakes is a, a movie from the 80s that was a remake of another black and white movie, another horror movie from the 50s. And this one holds a special place in my heart because in my uh, junior year of high school, I got to play one of the characters and not even arguably the best character in the play slash movie. And it's kind of circling back to Steve Martin. You've already mentioned a pick with Steve Martin. This one includes Steve Martin as well. And I'm just going to stop talking and tell you what the movie is. (laughs) Drum roll. (laughs) It is the Frank Oz directed film Mm. 
Little Shop of Horrors. And the role that I'm referring to is the role of Oren Scrivello DDS, uh, played by Steve Martin, who's this very uh, sadistic dentist who loves inflicting pain on others, as well as uh, sniffing nitrous oxide. (laughs) And that role was so much fun to play in high school, one of the funnest times that I had in the theater. And he is quite good in it. He steals the show until... A cameo by Bill Murray basically steals the show right from Steve Martin. If you haven't seen it, you really need to. Even by today's standards, the puppetry and the special effects are quite good. Especially the very ending. Oh, my goodness. Not to spoil anything, but we get a very long, drawn-out view of all these puppets doing their thing. Which is not the original ending, by the way. the, The film version that you're used to and that you've seen has the happy Hollywood ending. Not the original broad, off-Broadway ending, but also a great score and great songs by Alan Menken, who I just saw here at BYU not too long ago and realized he has eight Academy Awards to his mm-hmm. name. So go check out Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, and by the way, I, I had to cheat and look that up. I was quite certain. This is when, do you guys remember SCTV? Oh, yeah. It was a great Canadian comedy production mm-hmm. that was put together, and I, I, it was pretty popular here, too. And this was when that's really hot, and pretty much the entire cast is in this movie. Yeah, yeah. and a lot of great cameos, too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's my number two pick. How about you, Rod? Well, for me, I'm going to actually take an entire franchise, and it's Planet of the Apes. Now, my wife and kids love the original Planet of the Apes, it's pretty good. The first one's not bad, but then it kind of goes off the cliff for me after that. By the time that. we get to Escape from the Planet well, yeah, of the Apes, it's bad. a TV movie. <laughs> it's bad. But this new franchise, I think, has been one of the most underrated franchises that in recent memory that I can think of. I would love to have seen it, you know, for some major Oscar nominations and that type of thing. Andy Serkis, my goodness, can that guy act? And then the fact, too, that he's really evolved this whole motion capture thing. The writing is incredible. They have these incredibly, you know, deep antagonists. I always say the biggest thing that ruins a movie is a flat antagonist. All the focus goes into the good guy and not much goes into the bad guy. Yeah. This film, Woody Harrelson in the third one, just did an amazing job. Yeah. So I, I love it, and I really think that they've really brought that franchise back in a big way. And I've made this prediction before on the show, but if they never if they never include actors that are in motion capture suits or actors that are doing voiceover performances, mm-hmm. if they don't either create a separate category for that yeah. or include them in these main categories, I'm predicting right now that Andy Serkis is going to get an honorary Oscar someday because he has been such an innovator in this field. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. And I don't know where they're going to put that. The line between animation and live action is going to continue to blur. Right. And Cole, I know you are a huge fan of this franchise. I love the Planet of the Apes. And just to be clear, (laughs) we're talking about the new ones with Andy Serkis, not Mark Wahlberg and Tim (laughs) Burton. Mark Wahlberg. No, no, we'll forget that. 2001 is gone. Because some remakes are better than others. (laughs) I only only saw that one the one time, but I don't remember hating it as much as everybody else did. I think it fell asleep. I can't remember. (laughs) Yeah. I remember thinking how ridiculous the end was, but that's for a different time. So my first one was a reboot. Now I'm okay. going to take kind of the the remake that does what Overboard did. You know, Overboard switches up the genders. 
I want to talk about the remakes that switch up maybe the race of our main characters. Mm. There is a whole subgenre of movies that come out that are black reimaginings of other movies. My favorite being Dr. Doolittle, but things like oh, right. Naked which was a Marlon Wayans movie just recently, mm-hmm. um, Death at a Funeral, and even The Nutty Professor. Wait, mm-hmm. A lot of these movies are remakes. What was Naked a remake of? It was a Swedish oh, movie okay. Okay. that also was called whatever Swedish for Naked is. <laughs> um, but, you should have just made up a word. We wouldn't have known the difference. You have to say it like the Ikea guy. Sorry. <laughs> right. But Dr. Doolittle, I think, became more famous. The The cool thing is a lot of these are just seen as knockoffs. There's a joke in community that they use um, that their <laughs> love don't cost a thing is just the black version of Can't Buy Me Love, you know. Which is a film I enjoy, actually. Which is all right. But a lot of these are just seen as lesser knockoffs. Dr. Doolittle, of all of these, is the synonymous Dr. Doolittle mm-hmm. now. And I think that's a really cool thing. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. I have, I have seen neither of the Dr. Doolittle films. Or I, I know there are like really? 10 of them now, but well, I haven't seen any of them. My wife's favorite movie from childhood. Really? I with, think it's about uh, eight hours long, that original one. with oh, uh, It's yeah, the guy uh, with from My Fair Lady, isn't it? Uh, yeah, Rex Harrison. Rex Harrison. Yeah, Rex yes. Harrison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first time I saw it, drive in with my parents. Um, I woke up kind of when that tree was splitting, when the island or the continents were splitting. <laughs> and that's about all I remember. Yeah. Well, my final pick, before I give my final pick, I'm actually going to give an honorable mention that I just remembered last night as I was sitting on the couch with my parents and I, they recognize that, oh, you have the movie The Man from Uncle, mm. which I have never seen. The reason this is an honorable mention, I've never seen the original television series this film was based on. But I asked my dad, I was like, was the television series any good? And he's like, ah, it was pretty cheesy. So The Man from Uncle is one that really surprised me. I saw it in a preview screening where they don't have all the special effects in, maybe not all the right music that they're going to be using. And it was the only one that I've been to, and I've been to a handful, that I actually liked. And it was another one where I said – I went to my wife and I said, you're really going to want to see this one because it's so enjoyable. And now she likes it even more than me. Part of the reason is because it has Army Hammer in it, who mm-hmm. she thinks is quite handsome. And I – you know, not, not that I can argue with her, but uh, it's just so enjoyable. And it was directed by one of my favorite directors. I enjoy pretty much everything he does. Um, and now I'm blanking on his name. It's Madonna's uh, ex-husband, Guy, Guy Ritchie. Ritchie. Guy Ritchie. Yeah. He did uh, the two Sherlock Holmes films. He did this recent uh, um, uh, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Mm-hmm. And he did a bunch of other British R-rated See, films. See, I didn't know we were allowed to – I did a little TV mention with Star Trek, but my honorable mentions kind of go to TV as well. The oh. fact we have Lost in Space coming there out you now go. on Netflix, Battlestar Galactica. My parents would shame me if I didn't mention a little bit as well. <laughs> I didn't realize it as well until I picked my actual pick – which is also based on a TV series, which is a series I'm actually watching right now and is quite good. So to be fair to the original, this TV series is quite good, even by today's standards. And it's The Fugitive. Mm, oh, yes. Yeah. So this is a show back in the 60s that won the Emmy for Best Drama. And that's saying a lot. And it, it really puts the pressure on the uh, to, for Hollywood to make – to do it justice, right? And this movie did do it justice. Not only did it win an Oscar for Tommy Lee Jones for Best Supporting Actor, it was nominated for Best Picture. And it's just a it's just a straight 
thriller, you know, let's just catch this fugitive. And it's really quite thrilling. It's one of those movies that even though we own it on DVD, whenever it's on TV, we will sit down and watch it with commercials instead of putting the DVD in. It's that good. It requires repeat viewing. And Tommy, you can't get much better than Tommy Lee Jones as the U.S. Marshal in this film. He was amazing in that movie. That's the movie I remember thinking, wow, I I liked this guy before, but yeah, it was incredible. Yes. So that's my number one pick. Um, How about right. you, Rod? Well, and I, I always get mixed up as whether we're going three, two, one, or one, two, three. It so doesn't my, matter. These yeah, are these mine are, are in no particular mine order. Too, but yeah. for me, though, the new Ben Hur I thought was really underrated, and a lot of people were like, uh, you know, and it just kind of came and went in like three weeks and was done. But I really enjoyed what they did with the end of that movie, where they changed it from a revenge plot to a forgiveness plot, and I really felt like, from a religious movie perspective, I mean, I still really appreciate the spectacle of the first one because, I mean, that was just this broad, widescreen, huge movie. But I really felt like this one had a lot more heart and it had a lot more emotion and I really liked what they did with it. And the chariot race, by the way, a lot of people are going, oh, it's all CGI. According to the director, that was all optically lensed and everything else. So, yeah, it's still, you know, I think it, it deserved a lot more cred than it got. So that's a statement that could ruffle a lot of feathers, Rod Gustafson. I've never seen the original, so it's not ruffling yes, mine. But I know. Uh, I'm, I don't want I'm getting all anti-Charlton Heston today. <laughs> I mean, I didn't like him in Planet. Well, no, I liked him in Planet of the Apes, but he was only in the first one, which was the best one. So, I, heard, yeah. I heard that he turned down the role of Dumbledore in the Harry Potter franchise so that he could make that cameo in Planet of the Apes. Ah. I, 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 I read it. I want it to be true. It probably it might not be, but it sounds mm-hmm. like it should be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as long as we say it on the radio, it probably becomes yeah. true. Right? It's there gospel, you go. right? It's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about you, Cole? What's your last pick? So I'm going to a production company that has made their entire living off of remakes of one or another, and that is Disney. Disney has not come up with an original idea in the entire history of their universe. No. Everything is based off of something. Sure. Um, even nowadays, they're remaking their own old remakes and putting them into live action, right. which I think they've done a really excellent job on all of them. But I am going to one of my favorite Disney movies of all time that gets forgotten about a little bit, and that is Treasure Planet, a Whoa. reimagining of a remake of Treasure Island, which was a book and a movie and then a couple different movies and then Treasure Planet. I don't mm. think I ever saw that one. Oh, it's fantastic. So it tells, it does a great job at telling the pirate story from a space pirate perspective. The visuals in it are the best in any Disney movie, and I'll go and wow. die on that hill anytime. Mm. But they combined CGI and... and it ended up being such an expensive process that they never went back and did it again, which mm-hmm. is why it's the best-looking Disney movie ever. Um, but it takes a reliable story, Jim Hawkins going off, trying to become his own man, and really gives it a lot of heart for a kid's movie and keeps some of the older piratey stuff in it as well. I think it's great. Well, we really appreciate you, Rod Gustafson, on screen cleaning each and every time you're on the show and for all your contributions, even when you're not on the show. (laughs) Thank uh, you. We hope to have you back again soon. So 
we've we've established that there aren't very many original ideas in Hollywood, and that's you know we fault Hollywood on that a lot. But sometimes they get it right, and so mm-hmm. we tried to share with you a few ideas of when that's the case. So go check out some of these movies; you won't regret it, especially The Fugitive. You know, a while back, Cole, you posed an interesting question. Whenever these TV shows that suddenly end and then come back on a different network, it's never a good thing, right? You right. you seem to think that. So you and I set out to see if there is a superior remake or reboot of a television series. And when we return, we are each going to be sharing a few that just might be superior. This is Screen Cleaning. to help me with this one, Cole. This is the theme song for the new iteration, the reboot, if you will, of Doctor Who. Interesting. You know, Cole, they say you can never go home, and I think they say that because once you've left home and you've been out on your own, it's just never the same anymore, right? Right. So, and unfortunately, that is very true when it comes to TV shows. We're going to be mentioning three different types of TV shows. There are the TV shows that are saved and end up on a different network, shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine and The Mindy Project. Recently, Last Man Standing is having some success over at Fox after getting the axe. There are shows that are revivals where basically you have the same cast come back or members of the same cast come back 10, 20, 30 years later. We're seeing Maybe a lot of that. Maybe they call it a different show like Fuller House or Girl right. Meets World. And, but we've got Murphy Brown as the newest one of those. Mm-hmm. And then we have just straight up reboots or remakes where it's a totally new thing, new cast. and uh, But they use the same names or concept like sure. Magnum P.I. and MacGyver. Cole and I, after some really difficult uh, – some really – Big digging, I guess. Research by watching a bunch of television, as we do here on the show. Came up with at least three shows that are remakes that are better than the original. And boy, was it a hard task. There are superior remakes across the small screen as well as the large screen. Although maybe some lesser. I'm going to let you start, Cole. What TV show is superior than the original? Well, I will start then with the theme song that we came into the segment with, and that is Doctor Who. Doctor Who came back with Christopher Eccleston as the ninth Doctor. Doctor Who has a long history of really, really low-budget sci-fi through the 60s and 70s and a TV movie. And it was always famous for being hokey, but in an endearing kind of way. Sure. When it came back, it took itself seriously without doing too much, and it made itself a really... A real staple in the sci-fi community while still having some of the ridiculous Cybermen and Daleks that they had before. But they look a little bit better and it's not just a joke all the time. It's a serious television show with good showrunners and writing and acting and everything. Now, I understand there are different actors that portray Doctor Who. So which iteration is it? Because currently it's played by a woman, right? Yes. So you could say that Doctor Who reboots itself every time they get a new actor. But really there was a clear ending after the eighth person to take up the Doctor's helm uh, did it in a TV 
TV movie, there was a 10 or 15 year gap before okay. we got another television series on the BBC. And that started with Christopher Eccleston back in the, the mid 2000s. You know what I love about Doctor Who? I've never seen a single episode of Doctor Who. And when I go to Comic-Con, I've been a couple of times, and I don't know what somebody's costume is. If they're just dressed vaguely British. Right. (laughs) If I were to just say, oh, it's probably from Doctor Who, I would bet eight eight times out of ten I'd be right. Yeah. (laughs) It is a large fandom that got reinvigorated by its superior remake. Speaking of Brits – Okay. Uh, this is something that has been remade so many times. It started out as a series of books. You're probably familiar with the works of Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah, Sir, I've, I've Arthur heard of the Conan guy. Doyle wrote the Sherlock Holmes series, and you've had various actors portraying this character as well over the years. You've Sir got... Arthur Conan Doyle tried to kill off his main character when he was sick Pe- of the reboots and having to be stuck to him. <laughs> People were furious, so he had to bring him back. But you had an actor named Basil uh, Rathbone that played him. Jeremy Brett was another really popular one. Uh, Dylan McDermott. No, not Dylan McDermott. Uh, the guy from My Best Friend's Wedding. The boy – or the friend – Anyway, I've not seen that. <laughs> okay, uh, Robert Downey Jr. and now yes. you have the Grinch himself, Benedict Cumberbatch, portraying Sherlock Holmes on the BBC on the show simply called Sherlock. You mentioned there's a woman playing the Doctor now. We also have a woman version of Sherlock Holmes in Elementary on Lucy Lou, mm-hmm. right? It's pretty good. But I want to say that Sherlock, the BBC version with Benedict Cumberbatch, is the superior version. I do feel like. The older versions are very good as well. There's a reason why you can go back and read the books and they're still entertaining to this day. But I love the new twist that the BBC puts on this uh, version with Benedict Cumberbatch. Very mind-bending. I will say the first couple of series were probably a lot better. Now it's kind of gone off the deep end a little bit. But I'm going to say that Sherlock is superior to the other versions of Sherlock Holmes. Good pick, Jeffrey. I like Sherlock as well. There's another genre of television that we don't talk a lot about here on Screen Cleaning, but it is very susceptible to remakes and bringing the same concept back because really there's only so many game shows that you can have, trivia-based or physical activity-based or what have you. Okay. Um, And they reboot themselves constantly. I want to focus on my favorite reboot of a game show, and it is Double Dare 2000. Really? Yes. It barely edges out Whammy, the all-new Press Your Luck, which was a reboot (laughs) of Press Your Luck. But Double Dare 2000 is slightly better, I think, because it took a concept that was originally just these two kids doing very 90s things. It, It kind of popularized slime and it gave it that very modern millennial look to it where it darkened the colors and it made it faster and louder and and the obstacles were longer and more slimy and more entertaining and it brought the family aspect to it a little bit more that family double dare kind of broached into um, and double dare 2000 made it the staple as a kid watching nickelodeon nothing was better than maximum slime the more the better exactly Well, I know I laughed during your pick, but my second pick is also a game show. And this isn't a show that I necessarily religiously watch, but I've seen enough to know who the best host is. And it's the current one, which is Steve Harvey on Family Feud. You're sleeping on Dick Dawson and Ray Combs back from the 70s. Now, I didn't see any of theirs, but 
think of the other hosts during my lifetime. So during the late 90s, you had Louis Anderson, uh, followed by Richard Karn from Home yeah. Improvement, followed by John O'Hurley, which Ooh. was an improvement over those other two. <laughs> Uh, you, you may also know him as Jay Peterman from Seinfeld. But then you got Steve Harvey. The reason Steve Harvey is so good for this is because when you have a host of a game show, you need to keep it lively. You need to keep it fun. You need to keep people on their toes and you need to be on your toes. He has the experience to be able to improvise on the spot and be funny while doing it. Plus, people really like him. He's a likable fella. Even when he messes up at the Miss America pageant. Ooh, boy. We still love him. He's cute. Right. He's Steve Harvey. We'll forgive him that. Best mustache in television currently. There you go. There you go. Before we reveal our best one or our last one, I want to get from you maybe the reboot or the reimagining that went the worst wrong. So this is actually in the category of being picked up on another network or streaming service in this case because it is Arrested Development. Aww. Seasons one through three – will always hold a special place in my heart for just a good, solid series that is almost up there with Seinfeld. I know you're not a fan of Seinfeld, but those three seasons are pretty much untouchable. When season four came back on Netflix, uh, it was kind of a different show. It was a different format, to be fair, so it was a little off-putting. But it just didn't have the same freshness or funniness that we were used to seeing in seasons one through three. And then when season five came back a few years later, it was just unwatchable. And what I mean by that was I watched a few episodes and then I just couldn't watch any more. And that's saying a lot because I was a huge fan of this series. You and I have watched a lot of television. So to give up on something is – Sad. So it's a little it's a little disappointing, but uh, there are plenty of other shows to watch. There's also another my personal favorite sitcom, my favorite 30 minute comedy that's ever been on television is a show called Community about mm-hmm. a community college in Greendale, uh, Colorado, and it's this motley crew of characters that get together to form a Spanish study group, and hilarity ensues. And I think it's just very imaginatively written. Their slogan when they were worried that they were going to be canceled by NBC became six seasons and a movie. It was a hashtag that started trending and it started trailing off and they got their fifth season, but it was shorter and then it was canceled by NBC and Yahoo Screen, which existed, I think, solely for this purpose and then failed because – they failed at bringing it back. Saved yeah. community. It got its sixth season, but it was the worst by far that we had ever seen. And then it failed. The show was done after six seasons. We didn't get our movie, and then the whole streaming service failed. It's. I think the community holds the crown as the worst saved television show because it wow. ruined its entire network that saved it. <laughs> That's – wow. What a way to go out, right? Man. Well, there's a reason you can't go home again, Cole, and these shows shouldn't revisit either. I think if we've learned anything, we've learned that because we had to we had to basically cheat and choose game shows in order to make up 3 on our list to find another, yeah. Right. So, just there are a couple examples where shows were saved and I also Buffy the Vampire Slayer switched networks in between and its sixth season was really good. It actually had my favorite single episode of the show uh, wow. all time was on the different network. Okay. So you can save some of them, but it's the exception, not the rule. Right. 
And if you really want to do what's best for everyone involved, do what Jerry Seinfeld did and go out on top. Go out leaving leaving the audience wanting more. Anyway, when we return, we are going to continue our theme of superior remakes. We're going to be doing our panning for good segment when we return here on Screen Cleaning. Every single night, the same arrangement, I go out and fight the fight. Still I always feel the strangest estrangement, nothing here is real, nothing here is right. Now, before we get to our Panning for Good segment, I want to do something interesting with you, Cole, and talk about a remake that we would like to see. Our dream remake, or our dreamake, if you will. Nice wordplay, Jeff. I was really intrigued when a little film called Hancock came out, I think back in 2008. It had a very enjoyable premise, right? The tail end of Will Smith being the greatest thing ever. You have this reluctant superhero, this total bum who has this superpower that clearly does not deserve them. And so he basically has to be taught by this PR guy played by Jason Bateman how to use his superpowers for good and then also how to paint a more uh, public-friendly face of his superhero, right? But boy, oh boy, halfway through that film, it does a complete 180 and goes off in a completely different direction and – it's bizarre and weird, and it completely derails the film, which is why we never saw a sequel. And I guess I'm okay if they don't remake it because you basically get the same movie in the Deadpool movies, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, we can call that the remake. My dream remake would reinvigorate a whole franchise that went awry. I'm going to go to a well that I go to often, and that is the Universal Dark Universe that I wanted so badly to work with Tom Cruise's The Mummy. If we could just start that one over again and have it be good, then we could have had the the universe take off and really do that. I've I've mentioned this quite a few times. It's the first thing that went to my mind when you mentioned Dream Makes. So sad. Well, as with every episode of Screen Cleaning, we like to end the show with our panning for good segment. There's good in them dire hills. We've been going with the theme of remakes on the show today, and there are a lot of crummy remakes, let's be honest. One thing that we did not mention in this world of remakes, however, is just how many directors there are that have remade their own films. They want a second crack at it, and some studio gives that that chance. Or sometimes, you know, it's a foreign director who did their movie, and it's, it's a good movie, but they want it to be more accessible to a, you know, a... United States audience. An American audience. Right, yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, so I wanted to share some of the names of directors who have remade their own films. We won't share some of the, you know, French ones because we can't pronounce them and you probably wouldn't know their films Do anyway. Do you have any Russian ones on that list, Jeffrey? Um, there was a Russian one. There you guy, go. Uh, I, but he's not on the list. Um, so Cecil B. DeMille. I've heard Cecil of him. Cecil B. DeMille, Howard Hawks, mm. John Ford, Frank Capra. George Lucas, Michael Mann, John Woo, Robert Rodriguez, Tim Burton. Wow. Yeah. 
But the one I want to uh, really highlight is Alfred Hitchcock. Absolutely. Who did two versions of the film The Man Who Too The Man Who Knew Too Much. And I've actually seen both of these versions. There is a lot to be admired in the original film. Uh, although the later one is really the better film, in my opinion, and I think in most people's opinion. In fact, everything I read about the two films suggested that the original film is a great effort from a talented director or a somebody who's more up and coming. These, this is a great effort. The later one starring Jimmy Stewart is the one that a lot of people would consider to be a classic and really the superior film. And it's about a family who's vacationing in Morocco that uh, accidentally stumbles onto an assassin, assassination plot and the conspirators are determined to prevent them from interfering. Also, the best it, it contains the best use of the song Que Sera Sera. There in you fact, go. that's where I know it from High is this movie. But go check it out or really anything by Alfred Hitchcock and he won't steer you wrong. He's a good director. He's one of the best and uh, a director who knows how to remake a film. Why not remake your own? That's going to do it for Screen Cleaning. Join us next week. We'll be back with another great episode. <laughs>